Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke Betzner. I'll be your host today, and my guest is Dr. Brian Nixon. Now, for those of you who may never have tuned into us before, if you don't already know, Squawk stands for Student Questions at Calvary College. And so we tackle questions that come from students as they come in. And we have a whole list of them. We don't do any preparation for them. And we select which one using a die roll. And if you haven't heard about the die and the die roll, you simply must listen to previous episodes. Yes, because the die plays an important role. Uh, biblically and practically. <laughs> and I love the fact that you used the word role. Yeah. Uh, it was such an oh. excellent pun. Oh. So we've now come to this after some great puns, and I think we're really on a roll, so we're going yep. ahead. And, yep, yep. <laughs> before it gets worse, yeah. I'll go ahead yeah. and, and uh, roll the die. Ooh. Ooh a 12 I don't again. think we've gotten 12 at least in three weeks right yeah it's been a while because i think last week i did like a four or a five or something and then the week before that you did something so it's been it's been a couple weeks since we did a 12 right. i think maybe it had to do with that bank shot off the cup which you may have heard in the mic where yeah it goes ding it was like a ping pong it bounced yeah. off the cup and bounced off this wire over here interesting and but what we've concluded luke because in our previous <laughs> episodes we were wondering if these were loaded die Right. And we have we have proven that they're not loaded, but there are external factors that do help dictate what yes, where they yes. land. So this is a twelve. It's definitely a twelve. Let's see which question we have for question twelve. Ooh, I say this every week, but it's a great question. How do we know that the Bible we have is God's word? Oh, great question. There's almost a couple of questions in there, isn't there? Yes. First of all, how do we know? You know, that, that, that has implications in and of itself, philosophical implications. Right. Uh, that the Bible, so we'd have to describe what the Bible is and then God's Word. So there, really, you could make three, yeah. three, three questions. But I, I know they don't want a philosophy lesson. Um, on, I don't know. I think I sort of want a philosophy. Let no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know we're answering their question. Yeah, the the whole idea of you know a philosophy lesson on on how we know things is um, pretty you know pretty heavy. So we'll we'll bypass that. But how do we know the Bible? So let's just start off with the Bible. So let's define our terms like we normally like to do, Luke. We like to start big picture. But there's been a couple times we just answer it up front and then right. step back and unpack it. But the Bible, of course, the Christian Bible, is consisted of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the, the regular, what we would call Protestant understanding of what the Bible is, it has 66 books um, written over roughly a 2,000-plus right. year period from the earliest author that we're aware of that we have that we have you know oral tradition telling us is Moses who wrote probably scribes and other people the first five books of of the bible the torah and then it goes through you know the the prophets and historical books and the poetry books and all of that and then the other books are the new testament and those books consist of of course the gospels acts Paul's epistles, and then various other writers' epistles or letters. So that, that, is, that is the Bible. So a few observations, and why we even say the obvious for those who know their Bible, is it's, it's, it's an assortment of authors. 
right? Over a period of time who didn't know one another, you know, in, in that in the traditional sense. Moses right. surely didn't know Paul. You know, they live quite a historical distance from one another. So the question is really valid. How how can we say all these different authors over a period of time writing from different historical contexts, facing various different historical, you know, principles and precipices that they had to cross, how can we say that it's God's word? And we can say it because there's only one person who oversees all of it, and that is God, the Lord. And so one of the the biblical um, terminologies in bibliology, which means the, the study of the history and authenticity of the Bible, is that God is the superintendent, if you will. He oversees it. So though he uses different personalities, different people, different times, different epics, different problems and situations everyone's facing, he superintends it for a consistent message, for its accuracy, for its reliability, and he did it from beginning to end. So that's what the Bible is, really 66 books, written by multiple authors over a long period of time, combined into two Testaments, Old and New Testament. Now, the second part of the question is, how do we know it's the Word of God, or how do we know it's God's Word? And that question has a lot of of different facets we could unpack. But let me just briefly give four. How do we know the Bible's reliable? How do we know it's accurate? And then ultimately, how do we know it's from God? Well, first of all, it's reliable historically. There are other religious books in the world where you could turn to it, and it has no semblance to reality. It's talking about something that's in the spiritual world or, you know, the realm of the gods. You know, think of Greek mythology or other things. And there's no semblance to anything historically verifiable. But with the Bible, there is. There's accurate history. We can go back with a shovel in hand and with trained archaeologists and uncover and dig and go, huh, what the Bible said happened back then is confirmed through archaeology, a a, a science. So we know that the Bible is accurate and reliable historically. Secondly, we know that the Bible is accurate scientifically. And I right. know there are some people who would disagree with that statement. They would go, well, you know, we're, you know, we're, we believe in macroevolution and so on and so forth. Without getting into the evolution debate, because I think we've discussed it in, in, in podcast past, but the Bible gives an accurate view of, of, of science. You have individual authors who write about, you know, the Pleiades and Orion. You write about authors who talk about accurate descriptions of the earth as a globe, as a circle. And again, this went against the Greek understanding that the earth was flat of of sorts that was later adopted into the Middle Ages. But biblical writers knew that earth was a globe. Well, how would they know it was a globe? Well, through observation, but also through inspiration. You know that the Lord is inspiring that person. And there are a host of other things we could, you know, we could get into. It's, It's accurate and reliable scientifically. So it's accurate reliable historically. We could demonstrate that through archaeology and such. It's accurate through 
science. We could demonstrate that through scientific um, you know, comparisons to what it's saying to what the Bible. And thirdly, it's accurate morally. You know, it has a consistent moral message from start to finish, and with some themes and variations. You know, the ethicists and people would bring out certain portions in the Old Testament and say, was well, this consistent, and so on and so forth. That's for another program. But we could say, as an example, don't kill. We learned that killing is wrong in the early books of Genesis, Cain and Abel, as an mm. example. And we learned that killing is still wrong from a certain perspective done in the middle of the Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament. You know, there is that consistent moral lesson. We know that stealing from your neighbor is wrong. That's consistently given throughout Scripture. We know that lying to people is not condoned. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that's encouraged. So there is this moral, consistent message but then the kicker and the fourth, and then I'll be quiet and let you start un- unpacking some stuff, Luke, is, and this is really, I think, the biggest. So you have, you have an accurate view of history, you have an accurate view of science, you have an accurate view of morals, but the, the clincher in all of this fulfilled prophecy, things that are prophesied to come to pass hundreds of years before it comes to pass is right. a good indication of what I said about superintendents, that there's someone who has inspired someone to write something down and then sees to it that that event takes place. We could talk about a host of prophetic fulfillments, but if you just look at Christ alone, the prophetic fulfillments of Jesus Christ, and different scholars, you know, say there's up to 300, others, you know, give different variations. But the point is there's a lot Right. of biblical, fulfilled biblical prophetic utterances concerning the Messiah that Jesus Christ fulfilled. So there's no way anything other than a superintendence, a divine perspective of the Bible could ensure that something could be fulfilled as accurately as fulfilled prophecy. So when you add all of these things up, you know, a consistent, reliable historical record, a consistent, reliable scientific record, which includes geography, which includes an understanding of of the planetary systems and all of that, a consistent moral record, and then fulfilled prophecy. It really gives great weight to the the evidence that the Bible is something more than just some book you know, a couple of people threw together. So now your turn to, to discuss some things, Luke. No, I, I loved what you put together there. I think that I'm going to bring a counterpoint just for the purposes of discussion to try to get at what might be behind the question. As we've talked about on certain previous podcasts, sometimes the reason why a person asks a question may not necessarily be immediately obvious in the way that the question is asked. Mm -hmm. Now, the way you've laid it out is absolutely excellent because it covers the major visible divisions that one might think about where the Mm -hmm. Bible has potentially been challenged, right? And morality, science, history, and then are there such things as prophetic utterances? And how can we determine if that's the case? But I I would look at it from the perspective of what is it that the person who was asking this question 
may have been hearing that would make them want to ask this question. If they were indeed doubting it, would that be sufficient? Because, And here's why. And I think Geisler actually talks about mm-hmm. this, where he calls it the negative test. It's not original with him. Where even if we had a book that was, say, the book was historically accurate, mm-hmm. the book was scientifically accurate, the book was morally accurate, and the book had some level of religious value. Not every book that has all of those four elements is Mm -hmm. necessarily the Word of God, although the Word of God does contain all of those elements. Mm -hmm. And I think he puts it together and he says, all inspired books, speaking of the multiple books within the Bible, all inspired books have religious value, but not all books with religious value are inspired. Mm -hmm. And so if we can unpack a little bit further of, okay, well, I mean, this is the ground floor of something that we would anticipate comes from a being that knows everything from the very beginning, Uh, a being that has the ability to not just, as you state, put information out there, but also has the ability to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And arguably, the only way you could truly know if something was going to happen is if you had a hand in making it happen Mm -hmm. in that regard all the deterministic arguments aside. So if that's the case, then what additional element, and and what I'm getting at here really is the discussion of inspiration, Mm -hmm. which is truly the determining factor. If we can determine that the Bible has been breathed out by God, it's going to have all these characteristics. Mm -hmm. But is there something that's even more indicative, that's a a more basic truth that drives all of these other categories that we can maybe unpack. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and I appreciate everything you just said, Luke. Um, another mentor of mine, you know, I had to take his classes at, at another seminary I went to was a fellow by the name of John Warwick Montgomery. John Warwick Montgomery, Dr. Montgomery, was instrumental in, in advocating and uh, being the major proponent of what's called evidential apologetics apologetics we we need the evidence but he was also quick to point out that when you're looking for evidence you look for both internal evidence and external mm. evidence so what i just opened up this episode of the podcast with is external evidence history science yes. morals and prophecy fulfilled prophecy but there are other components which you are inferring to are part of the internal evidence of scripture itself. And so some of those claims are the Bible claims to be God's word. And then it doesn't look to other testimonies or anything. It claimed there's an internal claim. So because of that, it, it testifies on its own behalf. Yes. You know, the Lord, you know, testifies to his word and vice versa. The word testifies, you know, unto the Lord. And then, The third thing that you would say from internal evidence is that the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, it combines with all these external factors Mm. to demonstrate that the the Scripture is true. So when you're looking at the totality of why we think the the Bible is God's Word, is you, you really do have to pair that external evidence with internal evidence. And then you you put it all together, and you're just getting a stack of evidences of showing that the Bible is what it claims to be. 
I, I think that's absolutely excellent because it is, it's a union of, of all of those things. Right. And it, it brings us to an understanding because here's, here's sort of what we want to discover in, in converse, right? It's why would we think that it's not the word of God? Yeah. Good question. And yeah. If, if it's accurate historically, if it's accurate scientifically, if it's accurate morally, if it has prophetic evidence, I would be interested in, for those of you who are listening, uh, when you're being challenged on this particular item where someone doesn't necessarily come out and directly challenge it, they just ask you a question that makes it clear that right. they are challenging it by saying, well, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? And I'm not saying that that's what our initial question asker had done, but most likely they're being exposed to that. And I would be interested to see them shift the burden of proof to the person that's asking that question and say, well, on, on what grounds are you saying it's it's not the Word of God? Mm-hmm. And, and then deal with the individual challenges based on the qualifications. I, I would say this, the Bible is, I think, without peer when it comes to its attestation or the evidence right. for it of any book that's anywhere near its age, and it's far and away. I mean, it's not even a close comparison. So if there had been a way to completely disqualify or discredit the Bible, it's been studied more than any other ancient right. book. I mean, it's not even close. Right. So yeah, I've heard scholarship I, I, is. I, 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 golly, I, I forgot. He, he, he is a preacher of old. I think he was either English or Scottish. And his name is escaping me right now, again, because we don't have notes or we're, we don't come right. prepared for these questions. But it may be Joseph Parker, but, but forgive me if it's not Joseph Parker. But I remember hearing or reading a sermon where he said something very much like you said, that many anvils have, you know, come down upon Scripture and the Scripture has remained firm. Many people have attacked the Bible. They, they've tried to unroot it. They've, they've tried to point inconsistencies or mistakes or so on and so forth. And most of those issues, problems, supposed inconsistencies right. could, could be addressed. And of course, professor of mine, Norm Geisler, has done that. You know, he wrote mm-hmm. books, when, when Critics Ask is one book that, that deals with that. Another one's called When Skeptics Ask. And he deals with all the hard sayings and what people bring up about inconsistencies of the Bible. And he says, well, it's really not as inconsistent as they're trying to make it out to be. So there's answers Right. Plausible answers to be given to those those things. So the Bible has withstood 2,000 plus years of time when I, in the Torah, even longer. But what I'm saying is, is the Christian Bible, the Old and New Testament has withstood 2,000 years of attacks and it has always remained firm exactly in its declarations. Right. What I found personally is, and you've probably noticed this as well, to say nothing of the different publications we've discussed, is that many times people's, quote, doubt of the Bible when they're asking these questions comes from the idea that they reject out of hand the idea that there is a God in the first place, or if they believe in a God, they reject the idea of prophetic utterances or of miraculous events. And I will just say this, that there's no amount of proof that you might be able to give someone who has decided that there isn't enough. Right, right, exactly. 
So that does not mean simply because someone refuses to accept your answers of things that, and we're not just making this up because we need to believe the Bible. This is something that is broadly disseminated among centuries of scholarship. Right. It's, it's not even a matter of, well, maybe a few people think this. I mean, the truths that have been established about Scripture are ancient truths. They have attestation from the most ancient writings from the beginning of Scripture all the way until now. Mm-hmm. And don't, to our listener, don't feel like it's your job to change someone's mind or the fact that they don't change their mind when they're confronted with mm-hmm. things that are clearly facts. That doesn't mean that you haven't given them correct information. Don't let their doubt cause you to doubt what is clearly written and established about the Bible itself. Yeah. Because I feel like in some ways they don't have a case that they can make. They're just trying to make you make a case for something that other cases have already been made. Right. And they're they're relying on your potential ignorance of these things to challenge you because right. they themselves have either not looked or they don't care. Right, right, yeah. And and there a lot of times the, the people that do that they're they're just causing they're wanting you to stumble and they're right. wanting oh see and point the finger look you don't know. Let let me and I know we've done this periodically, Luke. Let's get we've mentioned a couple of guys on this broadcast. Yeah. And let me give some books because this is such a loaded topic and one that we would encourage heavily for the Christian to become equipped in because the Bible is constantly under attack. So I mentioned uh, John Warwick Montgomery, and he doesn't necessarily, he actually has a Bible on, I mean, a book on inerrancy, but he doesn't have a book necessarily defending it, but I would encourage people to pick up his book, Always Be Ready, a primer on defending the Christian faith. Again, Always Be Ready, a primer on defending the Christian faith. And why I recommend this is because there is a chapter on the reliability of the Bible. And as a theologian, a philosopher, and a lawyer, I mean, John Work Montgomery, by the way, has 11 earned degrees. Hmm. So he, he approaches it from a very factual type basis. What do the facts state? And this book is an easy book to really introduce. And so I encourage people to pick it up. Always be ready by John Warwick Montgomery. And of course, he's taking an evidentialist standpoint. What does the evidence show us? You know, as a lawyer, he's going, what does the evidence show us? I mean, when I go into court of law, I want to see evidence. So he he does that in this book. And the book is, again, it's not over your head. There's even cartoons, you know, in the book to 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 make points. And well, then on that okay. note, let me uh, this one is a little bit a little bit higher level as far as reading difficulty, but the factual aspect as a work of reference. And Brian, you're familiar with this book. I mention it because we're actually using this book as one of our textbooks in Calvary College right now, and that is Norman Geisler's From God to Us. Right. And he wrote that along with a gentleman Nix, I believe is yep. the um, the co-author of that book, but that gives you, it's going to give you the bigger, a little bit bigger picture. And that book's just been recently expanded and revised with additional, with additional material on trans, modern, more modern translations. But it takes you from the whole scope of how the canon was collected, the extent and development of the canons in Old and New Testament. And it goes through the, the transmission of those, you know, how did they decide that this was the canon? 
And then beyond that, what decisions did they need to make as they transmitted that to other places? So that's that's a book I would yeah. recommend as well. And I was actually good. That was going to be my oh. second one from God Dust. <laughs> but let me piggyback on that because I think John Work Montgomery is a great introduction to, you know, not just the Bible, but Jesus Christ and, you know, core essential things that are usually attacked by skeptics. Then you could graduate up to from God Dust, Norm Geisler. And then if you really want to graduate, yeah. Go to a general introduction oh, of yeah. the Bible by Norm, Norm Geisler. Geisler. Yeah. Now, now that you know, once people six hundred and sixty yeah, page read or ex- something, exactly. Right? A- once you see that, you, it may scare you a little bit. That's why you don't. But if if you haven't got enough from those first two and you want more, the general introduction to the Bible is a six hundred plus page book. But he covers the books of the Bible. I mean, he covers everything we just talked about Mm. in a very comprehensive, thorough fashion. And of course, Norm Geisler was a brilliant mind, you know, on many levels. And whereas John Warwick Montgomery is coming from an evidential standpoint, law, you know, law fact, Norm Geisler is coming it from a classical apologist standpoint. Like a polemic almost. Exactly. And so by having both of those, you're getting kind of the best of both worlds. So Great Geisler and and John Work Montgomery are are you can't go wrong by starting with both of those guys. And those those are excellent books. There's a couple of others that again they're not in the mainstream recommendation, but for reference, there there are some books of how to read the Bible for what it's worth. Uh, Douglas. Stewart and Gordon Fee, Fee mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily come down where they come down on some of their textual views, but a lot of their analysis is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, just to be fair, there's plenty of stuff out there, but we would recommend starting with those two and then looking in their bibliographies. That's right. That's that's the best way. If you don't already know how to do a little bit more research, find out when someone's written a book that you really like, that's really been beneficial to you. Go find out the things that they read to write their book. And you can usually find those at the end of the chapters, depending on how they structure it, or all the way at the very end of the book. You'll see a bunch of lists of other authors there. And not all of them are going to be authors that are in favor of the viewpoint. So be, you know, be discerning as you go through and look at the curated list, but you'll find some really excellent sources there. Yeah, we're right on the button for being out of time. But did you have any other last no, comments? No, I, I think we got those two books in, and that is really what I wanted to do. Because, again, and we've said this over and over, Luke, <laughs> a half-hour time, we're just scratching the surface of, of what. That's why we have Calvary College, because exactly. we encourage students to attend and get a whole semester of this. But giving people resources is huge where they could go and learn more. Absolutely. And if you've enjoyed us answering these questions as they've come in from students— don't be shy to send us your own questions. You can reach out to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And again, this has been Squawk, student questions at Calvary College. And until next time, thank you for listening.